Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. During this episode, we will talk with Mike Michalowicz. Mike Michalowicz is a thought leader among entrepreneurs and a multi-published author and has recently turned his expertise to the accounting profession, where he's training accounting professionals to focus on profit first with their clients. So recently, Mike wrote a brand new book. I call it brand new because it's brand new to me called Surge, and it is about marketing in the small business sector. There are huge implications of this book for marketing your accounting practice, and Mike is going to teach a course based on the principles of the book at Watered Institute. But today, we're going to break down the core principles of the book and share as much as we can in the time allowed. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Joe, as always, thank you so much for having me. It's always awesome to connect with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm going to jump right into the first question. In marketing, is all about reading trends. What are the trends happening right now? Well, it's funny. That's the first question I always get. And I could say, well, the, uh, the electric car, clearly, with Tesla or the autonomous car or you know, all these different things. But the real question is, where do we want to look for the trends? The analogy I use is similar to surfing. When you go surfing, you don't say, hey, where's the waves? There's billions of waves in the ocean. You say, hey, where's the hot surfing spot that I want to surf at? It's convenient to you. It's, it's in your neighborhood or you happen to be vacationing in that area. So you actually pick the spot first, then you look for the wave. So the question that I pose back when I get that is, what is the niche that's in your neighborhood? Where do you want to target? Where do you get the most joy? Where are you fascinated and interested about? It could literally be in herpetology, the study of reptiles. It could be in the yarn industry. It could be in electric cars. All of those industries and all the niches that exist all have their own trends going on. So let's pick the niche that we're targeting, and then let's look for the trends in that niche. All right, so you say marketing is tied to niche, and you quote often the niches in the riches saying. So out of question number one, we're already on to niche. What mm -hmm. is niche's relationship to marketing effectiveness? Yeah, so the way a community responds is relatively consistent, but they usually stay congealed or connected with their community. And that, that's a little bit cerebral, so let me, let me put it another way. Birds of a feather flock together. So when I start targeting a niche, for example, I'm trying to service the accounting and bookkeeping community. I know there's a few conferences, Scaling New Heights is the top echelon of that. I know there's a few conferences that I need to appear and you know, basically market myself at consistently. So once you pick your niche, the question is, where are their congregation points? What are the conferences they go to? What are the magazines they read? What are the podcasts they listen to? What are the blogs they read? Who are the influencers in that community? Who are already serving that community, perhaps in a different capacity than you're entering that market? And you've got to start circulating there. The irony is this is a strategy used by all successful companies, but particularly these super big ones we think about, like Coca-Cola, for example, a massive company. But what they do is they – now, they have broken into the large consumer market – after originally being a cough syrup, that's actually how they started. That was their niche, and they expanded after they made some significant money. So don't try to start off broad. That's my warning. But what Coca-Cola does is the Olympics, as they're running, you know, Rio is happening right now. As the Rio Olympics are happening, Coca-Cola is running commercials. You'll see them popping up when they go to commercial break. 
Coca-Cola is not trying to sell you. They're trying to simply associate you with the brand. They want you to see that logo over and over again. And over time, we become more comfortable with it. We trust it more. And we'll go out and buy a liter of Coke if we're in the market for a soda and not buy a liter of generic soda, even though logically they're the same ingredients. We have better brand affinity. So we as small business have the same opportunity. Take your accounting practice and target a niche Ideally, an industry niche, because those industry niches will have established congregation points. They're going to particular conferences. If you're going after the herpetology market, there's the reptile conferences. There's the animal conservation conferences. If you're going after the yarn market, there's the spinning conferences, the dyeing conferences all around yarn. And once you start appearing in that community, the community you choose again and again and again, you become the Coca-Cola brand for that niche. All right, and that is all powerful. And I'll tell you, there's a component, too, that's a softer side marketing, and that's the word of mouth. We were on with Greg Boston recently. He has a nonprofit niche, and he said he his marketing is largely done at this point by his momentum, and he would have to pour more energy into it if he wanted to significantly grow his practice. But he can sustain his practice on the fact that nonprofits talk to nonprofits as people talk within the right. community, they refer to each other, and you've built brand and expertise, and expertise is connected to brand, of course, then the whole thing begins to have its own inertia, and that inertia can be both building and powerful. Well, it reminds me of a world-leading heart surgeon, for example. If I had a situation where I need heart surgery, I will ask friends, acquaintances, I'll do researching, who's the best heart surgeon? The best heart surgeon attracts customers through word of mouth. The general practitioner, conversely, attracts people in the general vicinity. You know, if someone convenes me, is they, are they a 10-mile driving distance or whatever I select? So when we focus on a niche, we can be a heart surgeon. And when a business has a critical issue, like a heart failure, if you will, for the business, they are absolutely going to ask their trusted confidants, their friends, the people in that community. And that's how they discover you through word of mouth. It's a shame, Joe, most businesses are general practitioners, meaning they want to be convenient and available for everybody, and therefore they attract people with the equivalent of the cough or a cold, but the second a business issue becomes serious, they move on from the general practitioner and go to a surgeon. And the, the surgeon, the, the elite niche providers in, in our businesses, attract the highest premiums because we have a very specific solution for them. We can save their business's life. Hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. So specialization and niche go hand in hand in both of those, both feed marketing, give you a targeted marketing campaign, and create word of mouth energy. So that's a lot right there. I want to get to the book. I understand hmm. that the book Surge is more than just a word. It's also an acronym. What does it stand for? Yes. So there's five steps to a surge. And we were actually just focusing on the first phase, which stands for separate. So S stands for separate out your community that you're going to target. This is the necessary first step. If we do a surfing analogy, and that's actually what I use in the book, and as I teach the course through Woodard Institute, this is how we'll be tackling it. We first must pick the area we're going to surf in. Then we need to start spotting what's called imminent waves. These are trends that are upon us. What we need to do is once we pick our community is start researching, and there's very specific tactics. I don't think on the podcast we have time to get into all of it, but in the course we definitely will, is for picking a wave that's in front of us. But here's a starting point. 
if you're a surfer in the ocean, you don't, and you pick your cove, you don't look for a wave that's a mile out and see how it's coming in. You can't even see it. You look for the waves that are immediately in front of you, the next two or three, and you determine if they're a good fit. If they are, meaning it's really surfable and you, you want to ride it, you unify with it. So U stands for unify. You paddle in front of it, you match the speed of it, and you start pushing forward. The next phase is R. It stands for rally cry. This is a, a fascinating component that many of us don't think of when we're introducing a new service for our community. And it's resistance that the majority of the community will give to the early adopters. The example is this, the first person that bought a Tesla, I can promise you was mocked for buying him because before the Tesla, the only electric car was a, it was a golf cart. So the first person that buys it was taking on massive risk. And you may remember the news releases, you know, is the Tesla gonna explode? Is there gonna be battery acid over the road? What's gonna happen with this car? No one really knew until it was out there. The rally cry is us as serving a market that is surging, we are attracting early adopters, is offering a way for them to defend themselves. What is the mission of the company beyond the service you're providing to them? What's the mission you're delivering beyond your service? Something that they can easily enunciate when they get attacked, your customers. My business, we're here to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. When a new accounting or bookkeeping firm joins our partnership, we're still the new guy they understand that they're eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. And when they're attacked for challenging the traditional gap formula of sales minus expense equals profit, we challenge that. And they get attacked by the established incumbent in their community. They say, hey, listen, the method I use eradicates entrepreneurial poverty. They have something, a greater purpose they're playing into. Two more steps. G stands for gather. Surfing analogy, when you're up on the wave and you're starting to ride it, you have to look for what's called the pocket. You do this by physically looking for it and by adjusting your balance and moving toward it. So in the pocket, by the way, is the energy source of the wave. That's where you explode out and you can do the cool tricks. In business, we need to see where the true demand is. This is a concept that Eric Reese talked about in Lean Startup of this minimum viable product. When we enter the market and provide our first service, it may not be perfect. Actually, it's unlikely it's perfect. Because if you're early to market, meaning you've identified a wave coming in and you offer a service, any service that quenches that need is considered a good service. Like, Joe, if you and I were walking, dying of thirst through the desert, and someone was serving up muddy water, we'll drink it. And that, that vendor, though, may say, clearly, people like muddy water. That's not true. He was the only provider. As you start growing on a wave, competition sets in, the customer becomes more educated and specific in their demands, we actually need to improve our product. So gather the knowledge of what customers are wanting and not wanting and adjust your offering dynamically. That's the G phase. Final phase is called expansion. And this is, you got to be cautious here. This is the tricks, the jumps and the carves that the surfers do. If you try to do all these different tricks, and you're not even up on the wave yet, you'll look like an idiot and you'll probably hurt yourself. We have to wait until we have momentum in a very specific niche, we have strong traction, and then we replicate the niche. Here's the example. In the book, I wrote about Brian Smith. He's the founder of Ugg Boots, and he initially actually made those boots for the surfing community. Once he understood their needs and the triggers that were facilitating their consumption, one was surfers like to emulate the pros in the market, so pro surfers are wearing Uggs. The amateurs will wear them too. And they wanted, of course, warm feet. So they were coming in from the ocean. Now surfing was becoming a year-round sport with cold feet. They wanted warm feet. So who wants warm feet and copies of pros? 
Once he figured out the formula for surfers, he then cloned it out. He went after hockey players, cold feet, copied the pros. Skiers, cold feet, copied the pros. Hunters, cold feet, copied the pros. And then actually went after the biggest market that we're all aware of now, which is teenage girls. They copied the pros, and the pros back then were Britney Spears, Brooke Shields. And in the winter, it's not just warms up your feet, it's also a fashion statement. And UGG, by expanding, meaning duplicating the niche that worked in other niches over and over again, exploded to a billion-dollar business. And it wasn't like UGG invented the boot. So I want to make sure everybody is clear here. We don't have – we have some room for invention and innovation. I tell people that the difference between a small business owner and an entrepreneur is proaction and innovation. But the and the accountants can play in that proaction and innovation space. We can create innovative packages of services, price ground services, innovative ways of engaging with our clients and of creating wealth for our clients. And in some cases, just value pricing, not fixed fee pricing, but truly increasing wealth and charging as a percentage under the wealth that you generate. That's a distinction. Even that can be innovative because it's out there, but very few U.S. accountants have adopted it. But the accounting industry is – it might hear what you say and say, well, I can't invent an entire new category of services and call it accounting. I'm in a fixed range. But what I'm also hearing you say is you can innovate within a category. UGG didn't invent the boot, yes. but UGG invented a better boot, and they didn't have to get out of the gate at that moment. They were able to go to market, learn from the market, adapt to the market, and be flexible. And for the smaller accounting firms, many of whom listen to this podcast – that's a competitive advantage because we can be nimble, we can be flexible, and we can address trends that are in our local markets or even national markets. Mike, it sounds like a surge and a trend are kind of the same thing, and how long can a business ride one? Yeah, so they are very similar. The only difference is a surge is imminent and rising quickly. So the surge is where you catch it earlier, and then it turns into a trend. Now, that's a great question. Trends can last sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, sometimes for months. Look at the ice bucket challenge. Not that necessarily there was a marketable opportunity there, but that surge raced through in about a year. You don't hear anything about it now, but it had a huge impact. Penny loafers, the talking about going back to the shoes, have surged and continued on, kind of died out a little bit, and then actually the waves started growing again for decades and decades. The thing is, no one really necessarily knows how long a surge will run, but here's the thing. When you're up on the wave, literally milk it for all it's worth. Mm. You know, get everything you can out of it. The markets are moving faster and faster. Technology is a, actually, you put on a fascinating presentation I saw about the advancements of technology. It's only going faster. So once you identify your niche, you want to get as much out as you can for as long as you can. Two things are going to happen. At a certain point, the surge will die out, and other surfers will try to catch that wave, and the competition will set in. So once you're up on it, I can't promise you how long it will last, but do everything you can to extract everything out of it to deliver as much value to it as you can as quickly as possible. Okay, so to create a practical point for accountants to relate to here, a current trend is automation. So that is a wave. You can automate up to 80% of the accounting process, in some cases more, through a suite of solutions that extract data off of printed pages, that scrape emails that come into your inbox and extract that data, 
that will not even wait till it hits your inbox or wait until you get a piece of paper. Uh, solutions like HubDoc will go out and grab the documents, pull them in, and place them into mm -hmm. your document management system right into the client's folders where you need to work, and then other technologies will scrape them and automate the accounting process. And then we've had bank feeds in ever-increasing quality from Intuit over the last 10 years or more. And then, you know, I could go on and on, you know, click, click uh, with your phone and, and the phone image gets parsed and gets automated. The category is really, really large. And that, I would say, is a, is a surge. I can ride the wave of that to create an entirely new approach to bookkeeping at, yes, higher margins, but it's not just about efficiency. It's about branding around that and then using yes. that energy. Like you talked about tricks on a wave. Some of the tricks I would do on the wave once I had the energy is use the accurate real-time financial information to interpret the financials on behalf of my client and, and insert some proaction in there, and that would make it all unique. But then it's so perfect to what you're saying. It's, it's so applicable because in time, others are going to adopt the same technologies. I'm going to lose competitive advantage. Now, I don't think that's a very, very short window. The point is all these waves are long enough. It's a long enough ride that it's worth all the investment and the branding and the messaging. Yeah, absolutely. But at some, because that's where the analogy could break down, right? The, the waves can last five or 10 years. But the point is I ride that wave for the five or 10 years, but I don't, I don't think this is a necessarily a pervasive and enduring business model. I'm always waiting till I paddle out to the next wave, and I'm always thinking about that paddling. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. You can literally ride away for 10 years and then catch the next wave after it. I had an interesting call yesterday with one of our members. Her name is Cindy Thomason, and she's targeting the Amazon seller niche. Hmm. And she called me and said, I have fascinating news. I said, what is it? And she says, I found a way to automate every single element of what I do. There's software out there that does it, and I can replace bookkeeping services for all Amazon sellers. I said, well, that sounds horrible. You'll no longer be a bookkeeper. She says, no, no, I don't want to be a bookkeeper anymore. I'm transitioning into being consultative. So what I'm doing is over the next few years, as I bring on clients uh, in this space, I'm actually looking to remove the transactional component of bookkeeping, use this new software, and have already started to transition to a consultative model around a very specific need that Amazon sellers have, which is inventory management. It's a big issue for them. And she's become becoming so specialized in it that now she's providing significant consulting work, and when I say significant, very impactful, and she can dictate and deserves a very significant premium, but she doesn't lose the bookkeeping. She's actually plugging in uh, a system for that. So that's how you ride the wave. It was a great conversation I had with her. Right. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing in that is both technological innovation and niche, and those two things combined are going to free you up now that she's not trading keystrokes for, uh, for dollars. And, and all of her time and her people's time aren't are burnt on that process. She has the bandwidth to be innovative, go into these new areas, which just then creates more energy as she's doing these new services that she has a story to tell around and can brand. And that's this whole riding the wave piece. All right. So what are the common mistakes then? We've talked about some successes and some opportunities. But obviously, if I'm just learning to surf, I'm probably not going to catch a tube on the first time. Um, what, what, are, <laughs> right. what are the mistakes that people make? Trying to ride two waves at once. It's physically impossible in the ocean. 
I've rarely seen it successful in the business world. You know, we like to point to stories like a guy like Richard Branson, uh, Warren Buffett, these these Uber entrepreneurs who run many, many businesses and say, well, I can clone that. I can go after many categories. Maybe I can provide bookkeeping for three niches. But it's like saying, hey, uh, you know, the world's best heart surgeon should also be the world's best brain surgeon and the world's best podiatrist. Like, it, I don't know if I would trust that guy because every second he, she commits to doing a surgery other than what I want, she's degradating her skills. So many entrepreneurs, uh, accountants and bookkeepers I've worked with say, well, I'm going to go after four or five niches. And there, you, if, the, the, if there's a competitor that goes after one niche, they will have superior knowledge, superior rapport. They can go to all of the yarn spinning conferences where that person that's kind of spread out can only attend some because there's conflict. The, the specialist will master the knowledge, know the key contacts, and have a, a much stronger bond than the person trying to ride multiple waves. So don't ride multiple waves, ride one. The second one is some people try to go after what's called tsunamis. Those are unsurfable. These are massive waves. Like if I said I'm riding the mobile technology wave, that's actually impossible because there's all these derivatives of mobile technology. Is it app development? Is it cellular communication, cell towers? Is it the phone itself? Is it cell phone cases? Um, is it wearable technology? Is it GPS-based technology? There's all these derivatives. If we try to ride a broad category, it dilutes our ability and actually is unsurfable. And the, the last kind of warning I have for you is going to the E phase, the expand phase, before you complete the first four phases. You must separate, unify, rally, get the rally cry going, and gather before you expand. And what I mean by this is if you don't dominate the niche and really master it, to go into a secondary niche like we talked about with UGG, they wouldn't know how to enter that market until they mastered the first. You have to master the first niche. And for service-based businesses, it's literally somewhere I'm finding as of now between $5 million at the bottom in revenue to $10 to $20 million in revenue. So once you surpass $5 million in revenue, but definitely I would consider $10 million in revenue in a niche, that seems to be the trigger point to look for clone niches. I see businesses that are doing a few hundred thousand, which is very respectable and is a wonderful business, but try to be try to clone out what you're doing in that niche. You haven't mastered the first niche first, and now you're trying to clone something that actually isn't perfected. That's fantastic. Okay, and then there's a baked-in mistake sort of. I don't know why you didn't mention it because it's inherent to the niche concept. Is you can't ride a crowded wave. You know, 50 surfers on one <laughs> wave, right? Exactly. You're going to run into each other. And, and so the analogy plays well there for the fact that I have to be riding my own wave and I need to be telling my own story and you'd be doing my own thing in some sort of a unique way. And I want to come back to the accountants and say it doesn't mean you have to reinvent the core principles of accounting. The example that Mike gave was fantastic. I mean, they didn't reinvent the model. They're still keeping the records. They're still generating the financial reports. They're still managing the inventory, but they're doing it in proactive and innovative ways. In proaction, innovation, targeting a niche with attention to what the market trends are doing and where the energy of the wave is so you can ride that energy. And then keeping your head up because you know it will last long enough to invest in it, but not last forever. All right, that sounds to me like that's the principle of search. You nailed it. Mike is going to be teaching this course during Woodard Institute. And if you want to learn more about this course or Woodard Institute, you can do that 
at woodard.com. Mike, thanks for being here. Joe, absolute joy. Thank you for having me. All right, fantastic. And so I want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's podcast and our conversation with Mike McCallowitz. For more information about today's episode, to explore other episodes in this podcast series, or to learn more about our annual conference, visit woodard.com. That's W-O-O-D-A-R-D.com. As always, we encourage you to stay tuned, stay connected, never stop learning, and scale new heights.